Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. Right after you listen to today's uh, broadcast, I want to invite you to go to Mojo University, sign up, and start learning what you need to know in order to be successful in your career. That's MojoUniversity.com. Go sign up today. Welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show, and I'm excited today to introduce Mr. Douglas E. Knoll. He's an award-winning author of four books, a teacher, speaker, a trainer, uh, but we're going to talk today about his newest book, and it's entitled De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. Now, I know we're all going to love this because in leadership management, uh, conflict is just our world. That's what we deal with all the time. Uh, to give you a little background on Doug, uh, Doug is a lawyer who's decided to turn peacemaker. Now, I'm, I can't wait to hear a little bit about that myself. Uh, he wants to uh, help us understand how to use and develop pragmatic and practical skills of peace to resolve interpersonal and ideological conflicts. I know we're going to learn a lot from Doug today. Doug, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot. Great to be here. Well, I'm, is it Caldy? You're called Caldy? Is that is that I, how you go by? I, I am indeed. Uh, my friends All right. call me Caldy. You can, uh, I, I tell people you can call me anything you want as long as you call <laughs> me. That, that's exactly right. Hey, I, you work. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all good. Uh, Doug, I'm really excited to talk about your book, but before we do that, why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work? I am a jazz violinist, and cool. uh, I am working right now. I mean, it's it's a long journey to, to move. I started as a fiddler, and seven years ago decided to really learn how to play the instrument properly, and... Um, so right now I've, my technique has gotten good enough that I can really start listening to some really great music. So one of the projects is how to make a violin sound like a saxophone. That's one of the things I'm working on. The other thing I'm doing is studying the music of Papa John Creech, who was a black violinist, blues violinist out of Southern California, at least in his later years, and was famous by, made famous by the Jefferson Airplane. And he has this amazing style of bowing that um, his notes are very sparse, but he makes the music come alive and make you want to jump out of your seat the way he uses the bow. So I'm listening to that and trying to figure out, okay, what the heck did he do there? <laughs> and, and so with, with, uh, with, the, with the magic of modern technology, I can slow down what he's doing and listen to it and then try to replicate it, figure out, okay, what's that sound that he's making right there and how do I duplicate that for myself? So that's what I do for kicks. 
That is awesome. I love uh, jazz music, and uh, I think it's wonderful that you're doing that. I, I'm going to leave that up to you experts, though, because uh, I tried playing a little bit of guitar, and uh, you know, it really was a disservice to the guitar, but uh, <laughs> the, the reality is there are good people like you that can do this. So, Doug, well, thanks for sharing know, that. It, you're welcome, buddy. You know, you, no, no one wants to listen to a violinist practicing, you know, dead cat screeching and that sort of thing. Uh, oh, I, <laughs> I, I've been there. Um, my youngest daughter played the violin, and I went through all of that. And uh, there that, you may, go. that may describe partly what's wrong with me today. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, we had a great time, and uh, just like uh, she did improve, and I know that you're going to improve really rapidly as well. <laughs> so, Doug, I I'm, I'm, uh, really appreciate you coming on the, the, our show because uh, conflict is just a, a, a continual problem when you're in the management and leadership field. That's right. And That's right. Uh, I, I just... I love the entire premise of your book about how to calm an angry, angry person in 90 seconds or less. So uh, if you would, before we get to specifics on the book, why don't you share with our listeners, you know, really, uh, how, how did you get involved in all of this? And, and tell us a little bit about what influenced you to want to write the book. Well, the, the, um, working backwards, I started my trial. I, I graduated from law school in 1977, clerked for a year for a judge, and then went into private practice as a new associate in a law firm. And two months after I joined the law firm, I tried my first jury trial, which is a little unusual. Um, but then I, I was being groomed as a trial lawyer, and that's what I did for 22 years. And along the way, during that period, I took up the martial arts and eventually earned my second degree black belt. But after that, my teacher called me in and said, you are, you're done here. You're too arrogant. You are, um, you're going to hurt yourself. You have to go learn Tai Chi. So I started studying Tai Chi, and Tai Chi has two really interesting paradoxes. The first is the, 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 the softer you are, the stronger you are. Soft to be strong. And the second is the more vulnerable you are, the more powerful you are. Soft to be strong, vulnerable to be powerful. Well, that didn't compute, but I studied, and one day, after many years of studying Tai Chi, I was in a courtroom cross-examining somebody, and the thought came to me, what the heck am I doing in here? And um, after that trial, I took off on a river trip, river trip, whitewater river trip, and um, really contemplated that week about what I was doing. And I decided at the end of the week that I was no longer called to try lawsuits, even though I had a very successful trial career. So when I came home, I came down out of the mountains. I live in the central Sierra Nevada, uh, below Yosemite, and was coming into my office, and I heard a one and only public service announcement for a new master's degree in peacemaking and conflict studies being offered at our local Mennonite University, Fresno Pacific University. Ultimately, I enrolled in that and became a master's degree student. I was a full-time trial lawyer and a three-quarters time law professor. And that completely turned me around. I began to realize what human conflict was all about and the limitations of, uh, of the law. And um, I ultimately left the law practice when I was 50 years old in 2000 and became a peacemaker. All right. Uh, so, Doug, it, you go to school, you get a master's degree, and you become a peacemaker and a, and a master mediator. And I think most of us probably have some concept of what a mediator does, but uh, help us understand what a peacemaker is and, and uh, so that we get the context of that. 
so the um I guess in, in modern parlance, most people would experience a mediator as a person who works uh, in perhaps in a litigated context, where you are um, you're interested in helping people settle a lawsuit, and oftentimes it's a distributed negotiation around who pays who, how much money. Now, mediation is actually a lot broader than that, but the way that I distinguish mediation from from peacemaking is that peacemaking often involves relationships. Uh, whereas mediation, mediators who do purely litigated disputes may not be so focused on preserving and reconciling relationships. Whereas peacemaking is looking at deeper emotional, ideological um, differences between people and helping people come to terms with those differences and learning how to coexist together in peace and also to solve problems that might arise that interfere with a relationship. I would say, I mean, I've done a lot of leadership development like you have, and I would say that the number one skill for any manager or leader is to be a peacemaker because you've got relationships of your subordinates and the people above you that are critical to maintain for an organization to function properly. And so just solving problems is not good enough. You also have to deal with the emotions that cause the problems in the first place. And that is a primary skill that every leader and manager has to master. I totally to agree effective. with you on that, Doug. And, and I've, I've found that uh, the, the worst managers, the worst leaders, are those that try to depersonalize everything. That's and right. uh, they ignore uh, the, the very real feelings and emotions that people have. And you, you just never will be uh, a, a, a good manager, a good leader, until you've learned how to work with that. And, and you know, and it's so simple. Uh, it's so simple. Well, that's the thing that's amazing. Let, let's talk about the simplicity. I know that it, that uh, you, in your book, you you tell our uh, tell your readers how to de-escalate and restore peace, and you claim you can do it in ninety seconds or less. So tell that's us right. what this. What's the secret? How can we do that? Here's the here's the secret sauce. Take out a pad of pencil and write down these three steps. There'll be a quiz afterwards. I can't help myself. I'm a lost. I'm a law professor. I love it. I love it. Okay, so here are the three steps. And I will warn you that they're easy to describe, not always so easy to do because of our own internal prejudices and biases. But here they are. Number one, let's say you're you're a manager or a leader in an organization, and you have uh, an, an employee or a subordinate who is really, really pissed off, really angry. The first thing that you do is you ignore the words. The words just become noise with no meaning whatsoever. You have to learn how to ignore the words for the next 90 seconds. This, no matter how insulting or disrespectful those words might be. The second step is to listen to the speaker's emotions and guess at what they might be. And, and usually it's pretty obvious, anger, frustration, disrespect, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. The third step, and this is where it gets counterintuitive and a little weird, is that you are going to reflect back the emotions that the speaker is having, in this case, you're a subordinate. You're going you're to reflect back your subordinate's emotions to him or her with a very simple use statement. You're angry, you're disrespected, you feel frustrated. And, you're, and, and then you're going to wait, and you're going to watch, and you're going to be looking for four involuntary responses that tell you that you've done your job to de-escalate. Number one, you're going to get a nod of the head. Two, you're going to get a sharp verbal response, something like, yeah, that's right. Number three, you're going to get a dropping of the shoulders. 
and number four, you're going to get, get a sigh of relief or release. When you see those four things happening, you know that you've gotten into the, into the emotional centers of the brain and, the, and they're de-escalating rapidly. The whole process takes less than 90 seconds, and it's based on hard science of how the brain processes information, as demonstrated in the brain scanning studies of Matthew Lieberman, a UCLA neuroscientist. Um, but the trick here is to, do, is to keep it this simple. Where people get complicated and where they mess it up is they'll use an I statement. They'll something saying, what I think you're feeling is that you're angry. No I statement. No I statement. Those are wrong. Don't use I statement. The second hey, thing that, I'm laughing, Doug, what, because I did that. Yeah, I know. I did that early. In the beginning, yeah. there's a reason why we do I statements, and I'll come back to that in a second. The second thing that you don't do is you don't ask a question. Are you angry? No, you simply label, you guess at the emotions and label what you see. Now, if you reflect back and you're wrong, your subordinate's going to say, no, I'm not angry, I'm frustrated. Or they're going to say, I'm not frustrated, I'm pissed off. Right, right. It doesn't matter what they say, they will correct you and you come right back with it. Now, the reason, let me go back to I statements. I statements go all the way back to Carl Rogers, who's a brilliant humanist psychologist, but all his work, in my opinion, was misrepresented, or misunderstood, not misrepresented, but misunderstood by a lot of people. I statements are only when you, you only use an I statement when you're asserting yourself. I'm angry. That, then I use an I statement. But if I'm listening to you and I say, Caldy, you're angry, then I'm on your track and I'm, I'm authentically reflecting to you. If I say, hey, Caldy, I think you're angry, then I'm on my track. Right, right. Makes sense. The reason that people use I statements is to soothe themselves, not to listen to another person. They're dealing with their own anxieties. The, the listener's anxiety is not the speaker's emotions so practice using you statements and and i tell people don't listen to the great doug Knoll on this if you don't believe me go out and try it yourself you consciously use an i statement and then consciously use a you statement on somebody else's emotions and watch what happens and you'll be amazed at the difference powerful incredibly powerful uh and <laughs> and here's the reason that i think leaders and managers should really adapt adopt these skills you can have an upset subordinate or an upset boss, a superior or an inferior, or you can be somebody at your level, a peer, and you can sit there and stew in the conflict for hours or days or weeks or years and have incredible loss of productivity, or you can solve the problem in less than a minute, minute and 30 seconds. I think uh, it takes far less change. time. To, <laughs> I think I'll it, take it, the minute and a half. It makes a huge difference. <laughs> yeah, it takes less than a minute and a half to get people calmed down and to move into problem-solving mode. And I will tell you that as a leader or manager, when, when you are listening to a subordinate in this way, that person will become so intensely loyal to you that that person will do whatever you want and will jump off a cliff for you and follow you anywhere because you have validated them as a human being in a deep way that they've never experienced before in their lives. I mean, how cool is that? That's incredibly cool. And uh, I, I find that... It, that's, I, I don't know, maybe I've said it poorly in my own words, but it seems to me, just from observing, this is when people uh, really decide that you're a real person, a real human being, that they can that's relate right. to. Is, is that a fair that's statement? Right. That is an absolute accurate statement. Totally fair. You become, you, you become authentic to them. You, put, you validate them, regardless of what caused their upset. And now they feel listened to. Now they're willing to sit down and engage with you and problem solve in whatever way is appropriate in that moment. If you don't do this, if you don't do it this way, if you try to solve a problem 
all you're going to do is butt heads with their, their emotional brains. And as science tells us, we cannot solve an emotional problem with logic. No. There's not an emotional problem on the planet that can be solved with rationality. Until you get people calmed down emotionally, their prefrontal cortex is offline. And, and, uh, and it, it's almost like they're, uh, you know, I'd say it in my words, it's like they're crazy stupid at that point. They, they couldn't understand exactly. logic if they wanted to. That's right, because, because the, the emotions are, are there to, for a very specific purpose, to make us pay attention to and react to our environment react to our environment, not consciously plan and think about and and think about consequences and choices and go through all that rational stuff. Emotions are there to protect us, to, mostly to defend, a little bit to approach. And, and so we are programmed to react to our emotional conditions without thinking. And that's why it's crazy stupid is exactly the right word. Cool. Imagine that. I got it correct. Because the, the brain, the, our brain, that's where our brains are. And what's, what the brain science shows us is that when we label back somebody's emotions in the way that I've described, we are literally lending them our prefrontal cortex so that they can process their own emotions quickly and efficiently and come back to center. If we don't do that, it's gonna, it, they may never come back to center, at least not in, in any useful time period within the workforce. So true. So, so true because they so, take that anger this, and just that boy they just that's own right it. And it, that's right and then it festers and it gets worse and worse and worse you nip this in the bud and all kinds of good things happen another thing that happens to you as the listener when you do this is you move into a state where nothing they can say will bother you you become totally oblivious to any triggers because you're ignoring the words the words are just noise so there's nothing they can say that's going to bother you and you don't get upset, you don't take it personally, and you don't get angry at yourself. You're totally protected and insulated. As long as you're focusing on their emotions, you are totally insulated and protected from any side effects that that might have, any spillover effects. So you maintain your cool, collected, calm, beautiful inner self all the time, your leadership self all the time, without ever, ever, ever losing your cool. That is so awesome. And this is true whether you're working with subordinates, you're working with your peers or you're working up to superiors. I mean, I talk about leadership in four dimensions, right? You lead up, you lead side to side, you lead down, and you lead inside yourself, the four dimensions of leadership. So you have to, doing this allows you to be in that place where you can lead from all four dimensions at the same time. Yeah, it is amazing yeah. uh, at how many times we will uh, we'll take a, a negative emotion and we'll just let it have rain for hours right. and days and months even. Right. And right. it, it doesn't solve any problem. It doesn't. And, and so, so if you can help people diminish their emotionality in the moment by de-escalating them, then you can move on to productive problem solving well, and, and resolve the issues, whatever they might be. And, that, and that's a very useful thing, and, you know, because I've, leaders and managers spend a lot of time dealing with conflict. Absolutely. Conflicts are inevitable. Conflicts are not bad. Conflicts tell us there's a need for change. There's something going on here. So let's get people calmed down, de-escalate them, and then now let's find out what, what, what change has to occur. Where, where's the, what's the problem that has to be solved? Doug, I, and that's, that, that, that's really beautiful, and I think that we all are, are going to learn tremendously from that. But I'm, I'm thinking about myself and early in my career, and uh, I, I found it uh, very difficult, uh, at least early, uh, to ignore the words that people were saying. 
Uh, th- those words, I mean, man, they can be like they hammers. Bite. And that's uh, right. So, uh, you know, what's your advice to us? How how do we really just ignore uh, the words? Is it a conscious effort we have to make to guess at emotions? I mean, what are it, we doing? It is. Here? It is. It's just practice. So the way this is the way you practice this. This is I tell people: do not start in deep difficult complex with these skills because it won't work <laughs> right you need to learn how to ride your bicycle so i tell people go out for a couple of weeks but as you're starting to learn these skills you read the book or take my video course or whatever whatever you need to do to learn the skills start with a starbucks barista and just in the morning you get in your coffee or whatever and say hey you're really happy this morning you look really excited to be here and just do simple little throwaways like that all day long to strangers, people you just, or friends, give a little throwaway about what you think their emotions are in that moment, even if they're not upset, mm. and watch the reaction. It's beautiful. And you'll see it. You'll see immediately whether or not you're getting it, and you'll get, the, you'll get a huge amount of positive feedback and make a whole lot of whole new best, brand new best friends. And um, over a period of a couple of weeks, you'll start to learn how to ignore the words and just focus on the emotions in non-escalated situations. Then, after a couple of weeks of practice, you can start taking stuff on. And I would take on less intense stuff in the beginning, and then as you get skillful at it over a period of a month or two, then you can, you'll have the confidence to know that you can take on something really hairy. Um, and that's when you can start taking on the more difficult stuff. And it'll be, it'll be intimidating at first because you're going to say, I'm going to do something here I've never done before. I'm going into uncharted waters. There there be, there, there be dragons. But I'm going to try it because it's worked for me in all these other situations. My back's up against the wall. What else am I going to do? And you'll automatically ignore the words, focus on the emotions, and re- reflect them back. And, and you'll get a result that will just absolutely astound you. You'll say, holy shit, that really worked. <laughs> absolutely. I, uh, I have done this very thing. I just want to encourage our listeners. I've done this very thing with uh, people that, uh, that wait on me at restaurants and places practicing uh, that skill. And it is so much fun at how quickly they they become your best friend. Uh, it, it's it's fun. It, you get great it leaves service. an impact. <laughs> it leaves an effect. I was in Omaha, uh, Nebraska earlier this summer at a jazz violin workshop, and I went to a restaurant, and I had a young lady who was going to university there, and she got in. I she said, "What do you do?" And I tell her what I do, and so she got interested in my work. I ethic labeled her. She got the experience. Felt, said, oh, that's amazing. Where can I learn more? And I said, well, it turns out I have a book coming out. I gave her my card. I heard from her the other day. She bought the book and said, this is amazing. <laughs> she didn't forget me. I mean, how many people, how many thousands of people does she serve in a month in, in the summer in Omaha at this really nice restaurant? And yet I st- st- stood out in her mind and she kept my card and ordered my book. I, I'm not the least bit surprised. Uh, I think that you become unforgettable. And, uh, and and that, in my opinion, uh, wow, every manager, every leader wants to be remembered for the right things, not the wrong things. And right. this allows you to gain, uh, gain a skill. Uh, I, I don't want to talk about gaining control, but in reality, you're, you're controlling your own emotions when you're doing this. You're not losing, let's, let's put it this way, you're not losing control to the emotions of another person. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to put this it. This doesn't mean that you're manipulating, because if you're not authentic in this process, if you don't really right. want to de-escalate somebody, you're just doing this because you think it'll get you somewhere where you want to be, it'll never work. You have to be authentic in the way that you approach people. 
And as a leader, if you can't be authentic with your subordinates, your reports, then you, you can never be a leader. You might be a manager. You might have a, a hierarchical position. But unless you're really authentic with your people, forget it. Totally agree. And uh, well, well yeah. stated. I agree 100%. Now, in the book, uh, De-Escalate, uh, I know that uh, – People are thinking, well, is this just for management? No, it's for all sorts of personal conversations. And I know you even include Everywhere. a chapter in it uh, about how to be civil in an uncivil society. And Lord knows right. we have that right. today. That's so, right. How to have a calm conversation with the politically polarized. The book covers the arc of life from childhood, early childhood, all the way through relationships to school. I've taught this uh, middle school and high school teachers to great effect. Um, obviously taught it in leadership uh, organizations, and I end the book. I end the book talking about political polarization. How do you have a conversation with somebody whose political beliefs are so opposite of yours? You just want to throw up when you think about it. How do you talk with people like that? Well, there's a way, and it's very productive and powerful using these skills. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I, I know that uh, people are. Uh, you do an awful lot of work, Doug. We haven't talked about uh, in, in a lot, number of different areas. So it's not just business and all. I know you've worked uh, with prisons. You've you've helped people really understand and apply these skills in some really extreme situations. Uh, That's true. And uh, so I know our listeners are going to want to know more about how they can connect with you uh, personally. Why don't you share uh, how you would prefer people to connect, whether it's a website or an email or whatever you want to share? Yeah, I think the easiest way, uh, first of all, if people want, want to get the book, it's available now in all the usual places, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all that. But if you, I have a special deal that I can offer people due to the, 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 a philanthropist who really is supporting my work and wants to get this book into the hands of millions of people. So you can get the book. If you're willing to pay the shipping, we'll buy the book for you from Amazon. And to get that offer, go to um, DougNoel.com, which is my website, D-O-U-G-N-O-L-L.com. And if you want to reach out to me, uh, just go to the contact page. There's an email there and just email me. I am a one-man shop. I don't have a huge organization, so I respond to all my own phones and emails. Don't be surprised if you call me if I pick up the phone because that's the only one that I'm the only guy that's going to answer the phone. <laughs> all right, Doug. Uh, as, and uh, for those of you that are listening and you're exercising, we will make sure to put a link directly to Doug's site uh, in, in this particular episode. So you look for that link and, and go get this book. Uh, Doug, as we kind of come to our, our end or end of our time today to talk about uh, this, I, I just wanted to know if maybe you had a top two or three actions uh, that you would recommend that each of us take to really improve our lives. Well, obviously learning how to listen to another person at an emotional level rather than at a verbal level to me is one of the most important skills that we can learn. Uh, and especially when you are given the responsibility of leadership. You know, it's not about leadership. We manage things and lead people. Correct. And I think that's a – so managers are responsible for managing things. But when you're a leader, you are leading people, and that means you're pro, you, you are a psychological anchor. You're providing, providing guidance and safety and protection, and, and that's your job as a leader. And Part of that protection is having people be emotionally safe within the group. And your job as a leader is to provide that emotional safety. If you want to be effective, 
you have to provide the safety. And one of the most effective ways of providing safety is knowing how to calm people down when they get excited or emotional without diminishing them, without invalidating them, making them feel like they've been listened into existence and that they matter to you and to your organization. If you can learn this skill, that will move you along that path um, rather dramatically. And you will see not only things change in your leadership, in the organization that you lead, but you'll also see the changes in your family life, in your community life, um, in your whatever faith community you might happen to be in. You will see incredible changes around you. And it only takes a few people doing this to make a huge change. So I encourage people to learn the skills and practice them. Recognize it's not going to happen overnight. It's like riding a bicycle. It takes about that long, about a couple of weeks of, of practicing uh, and a few falls now and then. But you'll get it. And I'm here to support you and help you and put on training wheels if you need them, if you need some help. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic advice. And uh, Doug, I want to, on behalf of our audience, I want to thank you for helping us all really open up our minds to how we can really become better at this process of de-escalation. Thank you for sharing that today. Thanks a lot, Caldy. It's been great talking to you. What a great conversation. Well, it's been great for us, too. And uh, listeners, uh, go get this book, De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. Uh, Heavens knows you're going to need it. And uh, so get this book, start paying attention and learn. Doug, on behalf of all of our listeners, I wish you continued success, and we can't wait to learn more about your great work. So thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Take care. You bet.